welcome to this podcast on CAR-T therapy for acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Today, we'll be speaking to leading experts in the field of CAR-T and cellular therapy and getting the latest updates on how it is being used to treat ALL. Our first guest is Reuben Benjamin from King's College Hospital in London. Reuben, can you discuss some pros and cons of using allogeneic CAR-T cells to treat ALL? I think we're all uh, familiar with the reasons why allogeneic CAR-T cells uh, are being um, looked at uh, in the field. And it's the ability to have a treatment that's available off the shelf, um, cells being pre-manufactured and validated in advance of requiring them, reduced production costs, the potential for multiple infusions, and the fact that as these cells are derived from healthy donors, uh, they may be more functional than cells derived from patients with cancer. However, it's clear that there are a number of obstacles that one needs to overcome to make allogeneic CAR T cells deliverable to patients, and that's graft-versus-host disease, rejection of these CARs, and indeed the infections that arise from the more intensive lymphodepletion that's usually required for this therapy. You mentioned that an advantage of allogeneic CAR T is that it can be available off the shelf. Could you give us an example? UCAR-19 is the very first um, anti-CD19 allogeneic CAR T cell off-the-shelf product. In this particular construct, you have uh, a second-generation 4MBB expressing CAR introduced into a healthy donor T cell. Talons have been used to edit out the TCR alpha gene as well as CD52 gene. And that is to enable the patient to receive alumtuzumab to prevent rejection of these cars. UCAR-19 is manufactured um, by an apheresis of healthy donor. T cells are activated. They're transduced with a lentivirus. The talons are electroporated. And then the cells are enriched to have a product that is frozen down, ready to be infused into patients. I understand that there have been some recent clinical trials for UCAR-T19. Can you give us an update? And there have been two trials so far, the CALM trial in adult BALL, which was a phase one dose finding study, and a pediatric trial where there was a single dose um, study, and these have just been concluded. And the pooled analysis from these two trials uh, were published in The Lancet uh, in December of last year. Uh, do note that... Uh, in the pediatric study, slightly higher doses of fludarabine cyclophosphamide were used than in the adult study. The alumtuzumab dose use was one milligram per kilogram, although through the study, the dose of this was uh, reduced down to 40 milligrams. In the pediatric study, 1.1 to 2.3 million cells per kilo were used, whereas in the adult study, there were three dose levels ranging from 1 times 10 to the 5 cells per kilo to 3 million cells per kilo for the top dose level. The baseline characteristics of the patients, 21 patients were treated across the two studies, 14 in the adult study, 7 in the pediatric study, and the characteristics reflect what you might see in the relapsed refractory BALL setting for any standard trial. Note that 62% of the patients had relapsed following a prior allogenic stem cell transplant. A third of patients um, had MRD levels of disease. Uh, and about 43% of patients had high levels of disease, more than 25% of blast. 91% of patients had cytokine release syndrome, again, mainly grades one and two. We didn't see very many neurotoxicity cases. About a third developed them just at grade one, which spontaneously resolved. And reassuringly, we only had two cases of graft versus host disease, both grade one. 
We did see a lot of infections, 62% of them having uh, suffered from some form of infection with uh, four patients having grade four, grade five infections. We did see cytopenias, as is common with, with all CAR T cell products, but a third of our patients had prolonged cytopenia of grade four, you know, beyond 42 days. And you'll see that in the study as a whole, 67% of patients achieved a complete response. That's 14 out of 21 patients. Four patients did not receive alemtuzumab because of the clinician's worry about infections. And if you look just to the patients who received FCA, 82% of patients achieved a complete response, suggesting that you do need alemtuzumab for deep lymphodepletion and to get UCAR-19 uh, clinical responses. The overall progression-free survival was only 27% at six months, with an overall survival of 55%. And that's probably because of the lack of persistence of UCAR-19 cells. In the majority of patients, we had expansion that peaked at about day 10 to day 14, but then there was a steady decline by day 14. The vast majority did not have persistence beyond 42 days, although we weren't able to assess this across all patients since many of them had a allergenic stem cell transplant beyond that. But it was clear that those patients that did achieve a good UCAR-19 expansion responded best. So I think as the study has now concluded, there is a number of factors that we're looking at to see whether they have influenced the outcomes uh, for UCAR-19. Tumor burden is one that does seem to come out. We use three donors and four batches across these two studies. It doesn't appear as if um, the outcomes are linked to any particular donor or any particular batch so far. The intensity of lymphodepletion and the CAMPAT dose uh, does seem to play a role. I think more will be uh, known fairly soon. And there's also an issue about immunity against UCAR-19, whether it's uh, immunity against the CAR or indeed against um, HLA. Thanks for that update, Ruben. Next up, we have Cameron Turtle from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Centre in Washington. Cameron, can you talk about your research on durable remission after treatment with CD19 CAR T-cells for B-cell ALL? I'm going to talk about data from a clinical trial we did of defined composition CD19 CAR T-cells for adults with B-cell malignancies. Our CAR, con car construct contained an FMC63 SCFV and a 41BB uh, co-stimulatory domain. Um, and uh, the CAR composition was a one-to-one -one CD4 CAR T-cell to CD8 CAR T-cell uh, ratio. Um, in the study, we treated 65 adults uh, with uh, ALL. Okay, so what are the factors that are actually driving uh, CAR T-cell expansion uh, in vivo? Um, this slide shows on the top two figures that for both CD4 and CD8 CAR T-cells, if, uh, if you have a higher, a higher um, bone marrow blast prior to lymph depletion as shown in red, you have a higher peak of CD4 and CD8 CAR T-cells in blood. Equally so down the bottom, if you have a higher infused CAR T-cell dose in black, you have an earlier peak of expansion and a higher peak of expansion compared to those in red who had a lower CAR T-cell infused dose level. Um, one of the things that we did fairly early on in the study was to uh, uh, modify our lymphodepletion regimen because we were, we were seeing uh, evidence of CAR T-cell rejection. Um, so we added fludarabine to the lymphodepletion regimen and you can see that that change resulted in increase uh, in CAR T-cell expansion and better persistence in red. Uh, compared to the patients in black who didn't get fludarabine. And that translated into an improved disease-free and overall uh, survival. One of the things that adding fludarabine did was to actually increase the level of uh, IL-15 uh, in the recipients. Uh, one of the important things for um, event-free survival is actually the depth of remission. So at the top, we're looking at all the patients. Uh, and you can see the patients who had uh, MRD negative CR um, after CAR T cells uh, clearly had a better event-free survival than those who had no response. 
And when we look at the bottom graph, when we actually now just look at the patients who got into MRD negative CR, the patients uh, who cleared their disease by IGH deep sequencing uh, in black had a better event-free survival than those in red who didn't clear. Relapse can occur by a number of different mechanisms that I think everyone's familiar with. Patients with CD19 positive relapse, almost uniformly those patients didn't have CAR T cells detected in blood immediately before they relapsed. So loss of CAR T cells was really the key factor for CD19 positive relapse. In contrast to CD19 negative relapse, almost all the patients had detectable CAR T cells in blood uh, immediately prior to the time of relapse. And as you'd expect, um, what we see is that CD19 negative relapse uh, really mainly occurs in the first six months after infusion, uh, and it's associated with higher peak of, of CAR T cell expansion and better persistence. Um, we did a multivariable analysis looking at factors associated with event-free survival in the patients who had already gotten into MRD negative CR. And the most important predictors, independent predictors, were uh, that um, a high LDH and low platelet count prior to lymphodepletion and the absence of fludarabine in lymphodepletion uh, were associated with uh, poor uh, outcomes. Um, when we actually look at um, long-term effects, one of the key questions is, uh, what does allogeneic transplant uh, do in these patients after they achieve MRD negative CR? And at the top, you can see here that, um, that event-free survival is longer in the patients that we chose to send to allo transplant. But there's clearly a, a potential for bias in this, uh, uh, in this uh, analysis. It wasn't a randomized controlled study. So to try and get at this question, what we did was to do a multivariable analysis in which we included uh, the presence of allogeneic transplant as a, as a time-dependent covariate. And we used uh, the LDH, uh, platelet count and fludarabine, those three parameters that before that we found were associated with event-free survival. And then we added in allo transplant here. Um, and you can see by the hazard ratios and p-values that all four of those factors retained an independent uh, effect on event-free survival. And there was no significant interaction between the risk group as um, uh, defined by LDH platelets and fludarabine um, and allo transplant, suggesting that allo transplant may be of benefit in both high and risk groups. Thanks for that, Cameron. There are some interesting things to think about there. Leading on from that, we now have Claire Roddy from University College London. Claire, what do you think the main question in CAR-T research is right now? The big question for us all is whether CAR-19 can become a standalone therapy for acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. And as I see it, there's lots of potential challenges and they can be subdivided into pre-CAR-T factors, peritreatment CAR-T factors and post-CAR-T factors. So, what do you think the focus should be in terms of pre-CAR-T factors? And I guess one of the biggest problems is intention to treat. It's the fact that many patients who are referred for CAR die during product manufacture from progressive disease or infection. So can the autologous manufacture process be shortened? Um, it was a very nice uh, presentation last year at ASH um, by uh, Yunfang Yang, talking about the FAST-T CAR platform with overnight manufacturing of a dual targeting CD1922 CAR. They've looked at this CAR in 11 patients, three of whom had failed previous CAR, and actually the success rate was 100% manufacturer success. So that's really impressive for a novel manufacturing platform. So in terms of the overall response rate and CR rate, 90% achieved CR with 80% of those deep remissions, and that was irrespective of your burden of disease at the outset. Lots of the patients had um, allogeneic transplant as a consolidation uh, method, um, and in those who did not have an allogeneic transplant, um, only one out of those three patients um, was still MRD negative at the last point of follow-up. Interestingly, all the relapses were CD19 and CD22 positive. 
Now, the cell product, it looks as though it engrafted very nicely, comparable, in fact, to autologous products manufactured in the conventional way. And the safety profile was tolerable with limited um, high-grade ICANs and CRS. So this is a great uh, new direction of travel. Um, 24-hour manufactured CAR-T with less exhausted phenotypes, good safety, good efficacy. And the advantages are, of course, that this is fast to the bedside, great for our rapidly progressive patients. Disadvantages, most patients are likely to need an allogeneic stem cell transplant. You said that post-CAR-T factors also need to be considered. Can you tell us a bit more about those? I'm going to focus a little on post-CAR-T factors because this is a big um, elephant in the room, really. What do we do when our patients achieve complete response? Should we give them all an allogeneic transplant um, or can we watch and wait? Um, and some people do believe that CAR-T is just a bridged allogeneic transplant because let's face it, 50% of our patients will relapse after CAR-T. Um, and the question is whether allo can salvage them. And uh, Cameron Turtle, I'm sure, um, will be talking a bit about the Fred Hutch data looking at this, where they gave 19 patients an allogeneic transplant um, following CAR-T. Um, and their one-year non-relapse mortality was not inconsequential at 21%, higher in those patients who had their transplant after 80 days or had a high um, HCTCI index, unsurprisingly. The problem we face in our practice is that the majority of patients have already had a transplant. And so what is the safety and efficacy of a second transplant in adult patients with ALL? This EBMT study was published in 2019, looking at 245 patients of median age 34. The GVHD reported after second transplant was certainly not inconsequential, um, and the, the overall survival was impacted by lots of factors um, which may pertain to worse outcome. But the bottom line is the outcomes were poor in this cohort, 14% overall survival and 7% GVHD and relapse-free survival at five years. And the question is whether or not uh, this is really um, a good option for our patients. So can we decide who should go for a second allogeneic transplant based on biomarkers? And we look for CAR T cell persistence in the blood by flow cytometry at UCL. And there's obviously lots of nice qPCR assays available, but really that's what we should be aiming to do um, in those patients we don't feel are fit for transplant or are considering the prospect of a second transplant, is potentially a watch and wait approach um, with biomarkers may be preferable. The other possibility is the second CAR T cell if they should relapse. And uh, there's a nice piece by um, Jordan Gauthier and team in Blood Advances earlier this year, looking at just that. They treated 14 patients with BALL um, with a second CAR after having failure of a, a first CAR. And in that cohort, 21% achieved morphologic but not MRD negative CR. And so the outcomes are, are not fantastic with second CAR in relapse and refractory BALL treated with the same CAR construct. And they observed on this study that there was lower CAR-T expansion in the ALL cohort compared to CLL and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the same CAR construct may not be the appropriate thing to do. However, um, Shannon Maud's team looked at this um, from a slightly different perspective. They saw 22% early B-cell recovery and 15% CD-positive, CD19-positive relapse on their study of CTL019. And then they generated a humanized construct that we thought may be less prone to rejection. And they saw some really nice results. In the CAR-naive population, they saw 
um, 82% leukemia-free survival at 12 months. And even in the retreatment cohort who had previously been exposed to CAR, the leukemia-free survival was 56%. So the question of whether CAR-19 can become a standalone therapy for BALL, there's lots of different challenges associated with that question. But I think if we all um, unite in a kind of research endeavour to get there, that we can certainly improve on current outcomes with CAR alone. Thanks for that summary, Claire. Next up, we have Nirali Shah from the National Cancer Institute in the US. Nirali, what can you tell us about dual-targeting CAR T-cells? So the first question is, will CD19 CAR T-cells be the cure? And indeed, antigen escape or downregulation represents the primary form of relapse. From the Eliana registration study, although the initial remission rates are quite good, as is the overall survival, at about one year, that drops off to about 50%. And so certainly there's opportunities for improvement. With the hypothesis that combinatorial or simultaneous antigen targeting strategies will be needed to prevent antigen escape, I'll now focus on some dual antigen targeting strategies. Indeed, the foundation of ALL therapy is based in combinatorial treatment strategies. We are, for instance, we would never use single agent vincristine or methotrexate alone. And leukemia would quickly relapse after that. So why would immunotherapy be any different? And so with that background, let's go through a few different approaches to CAR T-cell targeting, and then I'll end with a few approaches that are currently in the clinic. So there's a co-infusion model where you're giving a CD19 and a CD22 CAR T-cell, for instance, um, separately. Two products are manufactured separately using two different vectors, and you can give these CAR T-cells either simultaneously or sequentially. There's a co-transduction model that is also currently in the clinic and is being tested by Seattle Children's, where you're putting the CD19 and a CD22 CAR T-cells into a T-cell and to see what that shows. There's a bivalent model where you have a a single vector with CD19 and CD22 CAR T-cells that show up on the cell surface in tandem. I will talk about our experiences with that particular construct. And then forthcoming is one construct that we will be using in the future, which is a cis-bisystronic model or a split car, where again, you have one vector that goes into a T-cell, but it looks like a co-transduction model. But in this case, you have equal expression of both the CFBs on the cell surface. So with that background, I want to talk briefly about our current experience with on our phase one trial of a novel CD19, CD22 CAR T-cell construct um, to try to see if this will diminish the risk of antigen escape. This is a bivalent construct that is currently in the clinic. It's based on a phase one dose escalation study um, for children and young adults between the ages of three and 30. We've recently increased our age. And our first patient was infused at the NCI in May of 2018. Um, So based on our early data, um, preliminary data suggests safety and efficacy. Complete responses were seen in 10 out of 18 patients, with the vast majority of those in patients who were treated at dose level two or higher. Um, Of those patients who achieved an MRD-negative complete remission, all of which were at dose level 2 and higher, 8 out of 10 of those patients were CAR-naive, as this trial does include patients who have received prior CAR T-cell therapy. We had one grade 3 neurotoxicity. However, there was limited efficacy in extramedullary disease, despite good trafficking to the bone marrow. So certainly, we have to understand the properties of of CAR trafficking with this novel construct a bit further. 
Um, based on the experience to date and also its preclinical data showing that this construct had limited efficacy with CD22 in particular, we are currently working on bringing forth a new CAR T-cell construct to the clinic, which is our CD1928 or CD22 foreign BB by Cistronic CAR. This is where you're going to have the CAR T-cell construct present on the cell surface um, equally. Against uh, antigen negative models, this construct had improved efficacy and improved efficacy against both CD19 and particularly CD22. And we are planning for this to also be a phase one dose escalation study with anticipated enrollment date to be this July. Can you tell us about some other recent or current studies in this area? So Nirav Shah's group at the Medical College of Wisconsin, they are actively uh, testing and publish on their results with a CD19, CD20 CAR T-cell construct. This is a bivalent construct. I won't go into the full data, but they were also able to demonstrate both safety and feasibility along with efficacy. And their recent manuscript was just published in Nature Medicine. There's also the sequential CD19 and CD22 CAR T-cell approach. Um, one recent paper was published by Dr. Pan and his group in China, uh, followed by an editorial that I wrote, which basically talks about using CD19 CAR T-cells for remission induction, followed by giving CD22 CAR T-cells for consolidation, to, with the idea being that you improve the durable remissions overall, and longitudinal data will help to determine the feasibility of this strategy as another approach. And then the next really talks about why stop at just two antigens. And so based on efforts from Nabila Med's group, they're currently working on a trivalent CAR T-cell targeting CD19, CD20, and 22. And their recent paper was just published this year in Leukemia. So with that, um, with that summary, basically the current strategies that are being tested are simultaneous strategies, including co-infusion, co-destruction, and bivalent or bisystronic models sequential targeting, and going beyond two antigens. And the challenges will be to determine dual efficacy, overcoming costs and thinking about toxicities, looking at the longitudinal efficacy, persistence, and relapse, and taking this beyond B-cell malignancies. Thanks, Nirali. That was a great overview. Our final guest today is Bianca Santomasso from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre. Bianca, can you give us an update about neurotoxicity and CAR-T therapy? We know that neurotoxicity, also known as ICANS, is a distinct but related process to the other major infusion toxicity, cytokine release syndrome. Um, for example, cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity often have distinct timing, um, but they have common risk factors, and there's the thought that CRS may prime for the development of toxicity. Um, great insights have been made into the um, pathogenesis of neurotoxicity. Neurotoxicity is strongly correlated, for example, with in vivo CAR T cell proliferation, cytokine production, and this is thought to lead to um, uh, direct brain damage on endothelial cells, uh, microglial activation, and astrocyte damage. Um, fortunately, neurotoxicity is in most cases completely reversible, occurring within the first month after infusion, but delayed, prolonged, and irreversible cases have been reported. And while CRS generally resolves with IL-6 receptor blockade with tocilizumab, severe neuro neurologic symptoms don't resolve with TOSI. Instead, management of neurotoxicity is supportive um, and with corticosteroids.
So with steroids as the mainstay of management, the question has been raised about whether steroids could affect uh, CAR-T efficacy. Um, in this retrospective study from MD Anderson recently published, um, 100 patients with relapsed refractory lymphoma were treated with standard of care AxiCell. 60 patients um, received corticosteroids within the first 30 days for um, neurotoxicity management. Um, baseline characteristics, including age, tumor burden, refractory status, blood counts, um, were not significantly different between the two groups. And uh, what was found was that those patients who received a higher dose, longer duration, and earlier administration of steroids had shorter progression-free survival and over overall survival. This suggests that corticosteroids may need to be used at the lowest possible dose uh, for the shortest duration and initiated as late as possible. Uh, while other studies, also, also retrospective and small, suggest that steroids may not be as detrimental, this raises the important question of whether it's possible to prevent neurotoxicity altogether without altering efficacy. In the early CD19 CAR T-cell trials that led to the approval of the commercial products, and among these, grade three or greater neurotoxicity was seen across all products, um, but there was some indication that products containing 4-1-BB co-stimulatory domains might have a lower incidence of severe neurotoxicity than those containing CD28. Although direct comparison is not really possible um, because for the trials um, because of different grading criteria and uh, that the understanding of neurotoxicity was actually evolving at the time. As a reminder, fatal cerebral edema, while most notably associated with the JCAR-15 rocket trial, um, has also been seen with 4-1-BB-containing products. The influence of CAR structure on neurotoxicity has also become apparent from several recent studies. I include an example here. This is a study um, um, where they altered the non-signaling domain of the CAR construct of tisogen lefleusel. Um, specifically, the length of the CD8-alpha hinge and transmembrane domains were changed. This resulted um, in preclinical studies um, in decreased cytokine production but retained cytolytic activity. And when this construct was tested in patients with B-cell lymphoma, um, there were good CR rates at the highest dose, but very little toxicity, only one case of grade one CRS and no ICANN seen. And this um, decreased toxicity was associated with um, almost minimally to no increased levels of cytokines in peripheral blood. And I'll point out that similar results have been seen with a CD828 containing product um, the group published at, um, at the NCI published this. Another study suggesting the effect of CAR construct structure and toxicity is this one where an SCFB with a similar on rate but faster off rate was used. Um, the CAR T cells with lower affinity showed enhanced cytotoxicity proliferation and in vivo efficacy. And in a small phase one trial with 14 patients with B cell ALL, there was clinical efficacy and a markedly less than expected toxicity. In patients who develop severe neurotoxicity, elevated levels of several cytokines have been seen. These peak mostly early post-infusion, and this is a very nice recent review that summarizes the various cytokines that have been found to be elevated in studies. Consistently, GMCSF, interferon gamma, IL-10, IL-2, IL-6, IL-15, and IL-1 receptor alpha elevations are seen in patients developing severe um, neurologic toxicity. And in addition to these translational studies in, from patients, um, preclinical models have shown an association of elevated IL-1 with neurotoxicity um, and also highlighted the potential of this um, of IL-1 receptor antagonist anakinra to abrogate this toxicity when administered prophylactically. Interestingly, this model sees myeloid cell accumulation in the leptomeninges of mice who succumb to neurotoxicity. And um, there are 
uh, several actually ongoing phase one, two trials looking at CAR T cells uh, plus anakinra. Similarly, there's an association with elevated levels of GMCSF in the serum and preclinical models suggesting that um, blocking this pathway may be a way of uh, reducing neurotoxicity without affecting CAR T cell function. And there's a phase um, one true trial ongoing for axacaptogene silalusal and lenzilumab, which blocks uh, GMCSF. In addition to manipulation of the CAR construct side or the cytokine pathways, um, manipulation of disease, disease burden is also um, an option. Um, this appears to play a significant role in neurotoxicity. Um, in this phase one study at MSK of patients with relapsed refractory B-cell ALL treated with 1928 zeta CAR T-cells, overall survival was much better in patients with a lower, lower disease burden, and these patients also experienced significantly less um, neurologic toxicity. This raises the question of whether, um, you know, debulking or bridging therapy will reduce toxicity and improve efficacy, an approach that's being explored in the, um, the Zuma-1 uh, clinical trial. And finally, a recent study of CD19 CAR NK cells showed a high response rate, high response rates with no CRS or neurotoxicity. So in conclusion, there are several approaches um, that, are, that are exciting, that are recent, that um, may allow us to avoid neurotoxicity altogether. So that's my update. Um, these include altering the CAR product itself, um, including signaling domains, non-signaling domains, SC bind, SCFB binders, and the cell type, prophylactic strategies, including um, steroids early, which might allow um, a lower overall dose, cytokine blockade, TKIs, which also then reduce cytokine pathways, tumor debulking. And until then, um, understanding that cytokines are most likely the direct mediators can lead us to focus on interventions that support the blood-brain barrier and the subarachnoid space. Thank you for your time. I'd like to acknowledge my collaborators and um, patients, families, and caregivers. Thanks for that update, Bianca. It looks like some great developments are being made in CAR-T neurotoxicity research. That's all we have for you today, so I'd like to wrap up by thanking all of our experts for taking the time to speak with us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast on cellular therapies for the treatment of ALL. You can follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. You can also visit VGHemonk.com for the latest updates on CAR-T, cellular therapies, and much, much more in the field of hematological oncology. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean.